Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Brownstein Policy Director Kate McCandless of Council, Peter Goodlow, and Policy Advisor Laura Johnson joined Strategic Advisor Senator Mark Begich for a discussion on the last gasp of the repeal and replace effort with the Graham Cassidy Healthcare Bill and the recent request for information from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation on the future direction of the Innovation Center. Welcome to another Brownstein podcast this one on healthcare it seems like the the issue that never goes away it's like groundhog day one more time uh we have some uh, very important issues to talk about today but also uh we have three uh folks here today i want to introduce uh first one is kate mccandless uh policy director is brownstein's go-to advocate for healthcare clients over the course of her career kate has represented and advised clients across the healthcare spectrum including physician organizations, hospitals, consumer organizations, healthcare information technology companies, pharmaceutical and biotech companies, nonprofit organizations, and other healthcare organizations with regard to federal healthcare programs and policies. Laura Johnson, a policy advisor, is well-practiced on issues including early and secondary education, healthcare, and labor. Laura works directly with clients to navigate these complex issues on Capitol Hill, track, tracking legislative issues, and crafting strategies for federal health care programs and policies. Also joining us is Pete Goodlow. Uh, Pete brings over 30 years of experience in life sciences and public health fields, including 23 years of developing policy and legislation as, a, as an attorney for the U.S. House of Representatives. In the House, he was with the Office of Legislative Counsel for many years and then was with the House Energy and Commerce Committee. In those roles, he had been deeply involved in developing policy and legislation relating to Food and Drug Administration, the National Institutes of Health and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the Drug Enforcement Administration, and other health-related agencies. He also has experience with House and Senate procedural rules and their role in developing successful strategies for moving legislation through Congress. Pete, I will tell you the rules are the most complex I've ever seen <laughs> in any form of government, so that is an important part. And important when you think about it from a uh, this the team here when it comes to health care, because it really doesn't go away. It's such a big part of the economy. Uh, someone asked me recently, do you think this will ever go away in the sense of the magnitude of it? And my response was probably not because it's such a driver in the economy in many different ways. So healthcare is not only around health, it's around ec- ec- the economy of this country. And right now we have once again another bill, uh, this one, the Graham-Cassidy. And maybe, Kate, you can give us kind of a, what is happening and what will happen and will there be – Another version down the road, or is this it because this is part of reconciliation? What's the story on this one? Well, I think as far as Graham Cassidy, the story is that it's alive. It's alive. (laughs) Um, Graham Cassidy is uh, potentially the final uh, compromise that we will see under this particular set of rules for reconciliation. As you said, you know, the Senate is using the rules, and Pete is obviously much more skilled at this than I, but um, using the rules of reconciliation to uh, to pass this bill with a simple majority, with 50 plus one. And so um, this is likely the last gasp of uh, of repeal and replace as we have come to know it over the course of the last several months. But that doesn't mean that it is the last chance to affect healthcare policy. And as you said, you know, this is certainly an issue. Healthcare generally is, is something that's not going to go away. I feel like the ACA was very effective as we were 
debating the merits of the ACA, the Democrats were effective in trying to position this as an economic argument. And so because we are now used to talking about health care as an economic issue, it certainly will be something that we will continue to talk about. Um, on the Graham-Cassidy front, uh, I think that we are in a holding pattern. There are still several senators who have not publicly stated one way About or another four their or five. position. About range? four or five. There may be a few more. A few more um, that haven't. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think a lot are saying that they're waiting to see the official CBO score. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of unofficial scores out there floating <laughs> around and numbers provided by uh, both the offices of, of Mr. Graham and Mr. Cassidy as well as uh, some unaffiliated numbers. But generally, I think that you're seeing the same crowd mm -hmm. uh, of senators uh, sort of on the fence waiting to see what's going to happen. The Capitos and the Portmans mm -hmm. and the Murkowskis mm -hmm. and McCain's and, and Collins is even. I think the only person we know for sure that's voting against it is Rand Paul. Rand Paul. He made it very clear. Um, so, so I think that, uh, you know, we, we definitely are watching that handful of, of individuals. Well, Kate, uh, you mentioned something to me earlier that I thought was was really on point, which is that in trying to look at who might vote against this, the, the correct comparison is not with the skinny budget where McCain did his his famous thumbs down. It's more the uh, first one they brought up, Better Care Reconciliation Act. And I, if I recall correctly, uh, 43 voted for it. So m more opposition there than mm -hmm. with the skinny Actually, budget. people forget that. They they think it was down to just three votes or so. But really, that first one had a lot Democrats, obviously, and Republicans that said not interested. Exactly. And, and another Republican senators that voted against it. Nine of them. Nine. Which yes. I think people forget that. They, right. they think it's always these three or four. But that was a real clear signal of what the tolerance level will be and whatever they're crafting now has to have that all in perspective. When there's another dynamic, uh, uh, why uh, more support for the skinny budget than the earlier version? Because the whole uh, uh, the whole uh, game plan was the bill was supposed to go into conference, but that's not the game plan this time around. Uh, once again, this is complete accountability. You vote for this, it's going to go to the House, although there's maybe less, uh, the House is less sure than it was in the past, it seems like there's a very good chance the House would pass it. So if you're a senator and you vote for this, you have to assume it's going, it's into, going to pass into and the signed. law mm -hmm. right. and be signed. So it's a much higher risk than the other ones, than the, the skinny way the budget. dynamics were. Exactly. Well, let's, uh, you know, as this, was, as this is going on, and this seems to be on for a few more days, it's not an ending product here. There is, and an, some news that came out with Medicare, Medicaid, uh, the Trump administration has released a request for information on innovation projects out of the innovation section, if I remember right. And it's the whole idea is to, to look at these programs and come up with demonstration projects. I, I hope I'm using the right words right here. But t tell us, and maybe Laura, you can start, and, and, and Kate and others, and let's, what does that mean for us? And, and, I, and I'm assuming that, you know, we have a lot of folks that have interest in this from a client perspective. We do, and um, I think that the first and foremost, the most interesting part about this is that uh, the agency put out this RFI, right? The agency has a lot of ways to communicate. Which is a request for information. Exactly. The agency has a lot of mechanisms to communicate with the public, mm -hmm. uh, and they can uh, typically go through a request for, uh, for a public comment period. Uh, it gets published in the Federal Register. Uh, occasionally, they, the, the guidelines are, are run through OMB as well. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of different ways that an agency can communicate with the intended audience. 
But this RFI is a little bit different because it doesn't require the public disclosure of the information that comes back in. So essentially, um, you know, my understanding is that anyone who responds to this RFI can lend themselves uh, to the process without sort of the, the public recognition of, of their own public comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would just say that first and foremost, it's a, it's a unique way of communicating uh, with the community. Yeah, yes, this is not the rulemaking process. And as Kate was indicating, when you do the rulemaking process, you have a proposed rule, the public su- submits comments, and then by, by law, the agency must respond to the comments. And so you know generally what the comments were and what the agency's response to. And rulemaking has to also go through the White House uh, Office of Management and Budget, OMB. And so this informal process, CMS is uh, using, avoids uh, a lot of that. Now, a, l- a little background on what the, uh, what the Innovation Center is. It's technically, it's the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation, or CMMI. And this was created by the Affordable Care Act back in 2010. And as we've noticed, its idea is to test uh, innovative new uh, Medicare and Medicaid models. Generally, what's going on here is to move us away from the fee-for-service procedure-based mm-hmm. approach to to paying physicians and move toward value pay, mm-hmm. value-based care. And in, in a sense, what, we're, what CMI is trying to do is uh, trying to design the, the, the future of, of medicine. Are there, are there and again, whoever would like to, Laura, Kate, Pete, are there models now that are kind of out there that show promise? In this? So CMMI has actually been engaged in a number of different models. I think some have shown more promise than others. Uh, the most interesting to me, actually, uh, was just last month, uh, CMS set up the first outcomes-based pricing arrangement with a drug company. Mm-hmm. Um, Novartis announced that the FDA had approved its CAR-T therapy for patients with a specific type of leukemia. And this therapy is either going to work for you or it isn't. And uh, it's also incredibly uh, expensive. It's uh, $425,000 for a course of therapy. However, they've entered into this arrangement through CMMI that will allow for them to only be paid when the uh, drug is proven that it works for this particular patient. Hmm. This is a really interesting model of reimbursement, and many other companies, I think, are clamoring to understand a little bit about this. And uh, CMMI announced initially that it would be working with stakeholders to put out guidelines Mm -hmm. so that other companies can engage in this sort of uh, outcomes-based pricing. But to this point, uh, no further information has been released and no timeline on those guidelines is coming. And so actually earlier this week, uh, members uh, in the House wrote a letter to CMMI asking to see the terms of this particular value-based arrangement so that uh, perhaps other companies can take advantage of it as well. Well, and another uh, uh, demonstration model that we've had some experience with is concerning physician uh, reimbursement for lower extremity joint replacements. Mm -hmm. Um, So say if your grandmother were to go into her orthopedic surgeon, um, the orthopedic surgeon would have a target price for that surgery and then be responsible to manage all that care so that they could beat that target price and then share in the savings um, with Medicare. So if your, um, say your grandmother had a big dog at home but were relatively healthy, part of that care plan for your grandmother could be to board the dog mm-hmm. so that you could get home more quickly. Um <laughs> So that's so it's one very of the, innovative. Yeah. We, we would call that in the infrastructure world design build. In other words, the contractor comes in, they design it to build it at the cost they said, and if they have any savings, they split it with the contractor and the individual contractor. That's with exactly them. So it's how it's kind supposed of a, to work. Let me, let me ask you this. This is very interesting about Medicare and Medicaid. As all this other noise is going on on overall health care, 
the two big drivers in local budget, state budgets and federal budget is Medicare, Medicaid. I mean, it's big numbers. They're not small numbers. So in a way, this innovation that could happen here potentially could have a long-term impact. And we have clients that I'm guessing you could respond to this, and that is we have clients that are very probably going to be very interested in this because they have not only product, but they have innovation and ideas that they've been trying to kind of break through the door of Medicaid and Medicare, trying to figure out how do we, where do we go? What's the avenue to show what we can do with the work we're doing, and they, I'm sure, come to you all and say all these great things, and and we always say, well, we're trying to find that door, and then here's a door, which has potential, right? Is that? It definitely does. I mean, I think that you know you're talking about all the other things we're talking about in healthcare, and typically those other things are having to do with what you what you said, the the cost of it. How do right. we pay for it? The other side of this is how do we deliver quality care, and how right. do we use the delivery models to bring down those costs? So CMMI is kind of the nexus between those two different uh, issues as it pertains to healthcare. And, and as you said, we uh, we do have clients who come to us frequently who have these interesting ideas and models. Um, that they would and sometimes like to, we scratch to our head and say, "Okay, we, it's interesting. <laughs> Let's figure this out." Right? That's right. But this and is now a place. There, this is a place, and and even though this place is up and and running, um, this place doesn't always envision healthcare the way that providers uh, envision healthcare. And so, for example, uh, in in this BPCI model, and Laura can speak to this much more eloquently, I'm sure. Um, the initial uh, design for this model was that some large entity would come in and through all of its, you know, a hospital system or a, or a healthcare system, through all of its experience paying for and providing orthopedic uh, care, they would have all of these great ideas. Mm-hmm. And it never envisioned the idea that the orthopedists themselves, the surgeons, might have great might ideas have too. Idea, right? and, and in physician-led fact, model. Yes, yeah. they didn't even design the model to, incor- to, to incorporate that piece in. Exactly. So... Um, is that, Laura, is that, is that part of the, uh, so we have to kind of help yes. when folks come to us, a physician group comes to us, or, you know, a provider group comes to us and says, hey, we have these ways to deliver. We're not a big hospital. We're not 50 right. units chain out there, but we are a practice of doctors that have some ideas. Right. Well, and this is, you know, they're pilot programs. So one important part is also being able to look back and measure the data. Mm-hmm. So being able to look and see, okay, you know, what are the outcomes that are in a hospital setting and what are the out- outcomes when a physician um, is really in charge of managing those costs? Do you think, um, you know, it, it seems like that's the area. And I know with the clients that you all work with in Brownstein, in my view, when it comes to healthcare, we have a great team in a lot of ways that we we go from administrative to legislative to legal, all of it. We have kind of the – and the innovators because I've seen some of the clients that come in with innovative ideas or products and they come to us and say, how do we integrate this into the system because we know it will save money or it will save lives or it will just be a better delivery system. Do you think – and maybe I'll, I'll ask Pete this question. Do you think that the system – under the weight of ACA always being debated and repealed or whatever, do you think the system allows can, will allow more of this? And it seems like our clients are they, they're we're always having to play defense against what's what the administration might be doing or Congress might be doing or vice versa. But it seems like there's a lot of our clients that have just these wonderful ideas that they just want to make the system better, and we're advising them in some way. Do you think there's a place in the politics of healthcare today to 
break through in that area more? I mean, absolutely. I mean, despite all the controversy over the Affordable Care Act, you know, insurance mechanisms, I think everyone recognizes we need to move away from uh, treating patients procedure by procedure mm -hmm. instead, uh, you know, look at the whole episode and, and mm -hmm. how do we optimize care. For example, uh, with the BPCI model, you know, typically after uh, a knee or joint replacement, you go straight from surgery into a, you know, skilled nursing facility. It's very uh, expensive, and uh, Medicare pays for X number of days, and because of that, typically the patient is there for X number, X number of, days. of days. But with BPCI, uh, there are patients who are able to go home sooner, perhaps even not go to a skilled nursing facility at, at all. And uh, and when the physicians have the flexibility to do this type of thing, you know, they're looking for ways to achieve the savings because, look, Medicare sets the rate for the surgery itself, you know, mm -hmm. the so-called DRGs. All the potential for cost savings are, are, are after the surgery, and that's where, you know, the, the, the innovation uh, takes it's place. It's for, like, rehabilitation, care time, all that. So, so everybody cares about and wants to move forward, although there have been some controversies, like uh, uh, the Obama administration established some mandatory models, mm -hmm. you know, forcing uh, uh, hospitals, for example, in, in, into the CJR, Comprehensive Joint Replacement Model. And uh, Tom Price, uh, uh, Secretary Price, has worked against having mandatory models, mm -hmm. but that does not mean he's not extremely interested uh, in, in voluntary models, and that's what this uh, uh, recent... Uh, RFI is about. What's the advice, you know, again, having clients come to your group on a regular basis in this time of dealing with, which, you know, I when I see stuff like this on innovation, it's really what, in, in a lot of ways, what public policy should be focused on, you know, not setting these real stringent requirements, but what can we do to change the delivery system? Because the payment issue will always be dealt with at some point. Somewhere or another, you're going to pay a bill and someone's going to write a check. But if you're not changing the delivery system, then you still have these challenges of cost and what's really the right type of program for someone or an individual. Do, do you think that um, when clients come to us, what, what is what when they want to, they have a healthcare issue? What, what's the advice you're giving them in the sense of the process now and resolving their issue? Or when someone comes to us with an innovation? What do we do? How do we deal with that? I, I guess I want listeners to kind of know that process of someone who comes walking in the door. Well, we can give you an example of that. I mean, sometimes it's 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 not at the big picture level. It's right. it's down in the trenches. Mm -hmm. And uh, Laura, for example, has experience uh, with a with a Brownstein client who's running the problems with uh, at at the technical level. There's some. Uh, uh, there, there's some perplexing things going on at CMS about. Uh, That's a good way to say what you just <laughs> yeah. said. There. That could be given to many clients, but, but go ahead. Well, remember, this is all about sharing savings, and, <laughs> right. and yet the, their methodology for computing the savings has been a problem. Right. So with the the BPCI mm -hmm. program, some of our uh, orthopedic surgeons have experienced significant frustration with the how the the target price so the it's this model is episode based so they get reimbursed per joint replacement that mm -hmm. they do so quarter by quarter um you know the the price changes and so it you know it doesn't allow them to adequately plan to um, why does the price change we don't know oh that's that's so, the, okay. yes well, we know how <laughs> that's, it's to, that's yes. the perplexing <laughs> part of cms okay, now i got it well how it's supposed to happen is you know, when you go into the the model uh, you figure out your historical cost right. for 
doing uh, an, an episode of a joint replacement. And you're supposed to beat the historical costs mm -hmm. and, and share into savings. Mm -hmm. But when the uh, the the savings that's achieved supposed to be directly attributable to the to the model, right, these particular right. positions that are involved. And so there's a need to take a look across the country and look at independent natural factors that might lead to price declines because mm -hmm. the individual practice doesn't get credit for natural declines. Right. And so th an adjustment is made using what's called the national trend factor. And that's where the problem is. They are, they're, they're saying there's so much natural adjustment that what the physicians are doing uh, is the, secondary. And, 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 it, and it just can't be the case. They they've seem to be saying that naturally uh, there's been a 7% decline in the cost of doing these just because. And that just cannot that's where, be the case. But that's where, for example, the client has come to you and said, help us understand this because I, I, is it fair to say our, our clients in that case are saying, look, tell us what the rules are, tell us what the guidelines are, tell us what the targets are, and we will go do the work. But when you change the deck every minute and we have no explanation, that creates a problem. And that's where we come in and try to figure out how to sort this out for them. Is That's that... right. And I think that the value that is derived from having a team like ours is that we can look across the landscape and find all of the tools that are available to get that question answered. It's not just about going to your project manager at CMS and having the conversation, and then two months later you have a new project manager at CMS who doesn't know you and doesn't know you had this conversation, right. and then you never get an answer. The answer is derived from the interaction with your senators mm -hmm. and with your congressmen. The answer is derived by a hearing that was called and chaired by now Secretary Tom Price right. that included our client <laughs> as a witness uh, to talk about the national trend factor. We use all of these tools mm. as, as Brownstein, advising our clients that it isn't just the interaction with the agency, but there's a lot a of political top. activity yeah. and, a, and a lot of policymaking that happens on Capitol Hill that we can take advantage of, and we help our clients do that. Let me ask you this in healthcare, and we're getting close to our end here, but let me ask you this for each one of you, and I asked this to the last group. Um, what let's try, and, I, and this may be difficult, put ACA over here for a second and repeal, but that may not be possible in this question. But your clients come in, or a new client comes, what is, and we'll do a round robin here, what is the advice or what is the issues that you want to tell them to kind of be thinking about? You know, what what in the next six months, and I use six months because really the next three are almost eaten up by budgetary issues, right? That's going to be kind of the topic of the day and some other minor issues. But what's that advice you, you give them, not necessarily related specifically to their issue, but in this broad sense that does impact their issue? What, what would be that advice to a new client or a current client of here's the things we're concerned about, here's what we're watching for, here's what we want to make sure you're aware of and we're tracking for you? that could impact you? What would that be? And I, I guess whoever wants to take a stab at it first. Well, for one Kate? thing, uh, one question is, will we move away from ACA repeal and back to trying to stabilize the market? So a lot can go on in terms of their what's... Uh, you know, Which what the committee is doing talking about well, they a were doing but yeah, now that's Senator kind of Alexander again. formally ended the process because of what's going on now right. but in a, in a more general sense you know this is a critical period because there's going to be a massive end of session mm -hmm. bill and so there's always a question of uh, everybody wants to get on the train, the big train that's leaving the station. So what's ha what's percolating out there? What are the issues committees have been looking at? E even introduce bills. Things su surprisingly sometimes end up attached. Or, or or do you have a project? 
for which uh, uh, in the session Big Bill could potentially be the engine that pulls you, pulls you along. So those kinds of issues. Okay. So I would say, uh, to kind of go back to this RFI, uh, accompanying this RFI's release was uh, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal by Seema Verma, the CMS administrator. And she was quoted as saying, I'm going to read this to make sure it's right, we are analyzing all innovation center models to determine what is working and should continue and what isn't and shouldn't. The complexity of many of the current models might have encouraged consolidation within the healthcare system, leading to fewer choices for patients. She's not wrong. Policies have encouraged consolidation in healthcare for the past decade or more, and we've seen that across the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And the From fact, every element. in every, in every, Everybody. in every aspect. Mm-hmm. And so, the fact that she specifically calls out consolidation, I think, really leads me to, to challenge my my colleagues and my clients to think about the healthcare delivery model in a different way. One of the things that the RFI asks about is direct provider arrangements that completely cuts out the insurer intermediary. Mm-hmm. That's a whole new way of delivering care, and right. we should start thinking about what that future looks like. And for a client, that may be a piece of the equation they have not thought about, and by this statement and what you've just described, we can help them figure that out, exactly. or at least start them down that path. Laura. Well, and to build off what Kate was saying, you know, I think that the administration and Congress are looking for ways to solve problems, and the big problems in healthcare are ways to drive down costs and maintain and improve quality. And I think that, you know, consistent with the RFI, you know, if you can present your, you know, patient, your, you know, drug, your insurance design as promoting quality and driving down costs, then you're going to find a very uh, interested partner in the government. And and we don't really have time to go into this much, but it's worth noting that uh, one of the subject matter areas, the RFI list is lowering the cost of uh, prescription drugs. Right. And Which so, we could probably do a whole show on that. Exactly. I know that. We have. Maybe we will. We will. And actually, that, you know, that's probably one of those issues that seems to be – it keeps coming up in different elements. The administration brings it up in many different ways. There's different legislative folks that in the past there was certain one or two that we always saw bring it up, but now it's a little more broader, which is going to be in its own way an interesting topic. So we may want to be talking about that in the next time out. Well, one final note, the the RFI closes on November 20th, so oh, good if point. anybody <laughs> is interested in submitting comments, Pete Goodlow is yeah. an expert <laughs> <laughs> drafter. We, we can draft them, we yes. can put them in, and we'd love to hear from people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is great. What a, as always, the healthcare group is always intriguing because you're always top of the you know, subject matter is current uh, every minute around here, and it's sometimes Groundhog Day on some of the projects. <laughs> so, But again, thank you guys very much. Thank you, you, Senator. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein, Hyatt, Farber, Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.